Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through Ephesians, and in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 2, Paul writes, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And when people read this, they usually just continue and go on to the next verse. And of course, one of the reasons why is because they don't really grasp the significance of what Paul just said. One of the reasons why is because they don't really understand the struggle that was taking place in the early church once the new covenant went into effect. And of course, the reason why is because the same struggles exist today. Just as there were struggles back then, the same kind of struggles exist today. And the biggest struggle that people have dealt with when it comes to the faith in Christ Jesus is the struggle over the law or derivatives of the law, or how are we really going to live our Christian life? What does it really mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to live in Christ Jesus? These are continual struggles because we always have new people who decide that they are going to be a Christian, who decide to embrace the gospel, who decide that they want to believe in Jesus and they want to be saved. And in every generation, there is always a new group of people, and the same struggle continues to exist in every generation because there's always new people, new believers. The struggle that I'm referring to is the struggle of how do we really live? Do we really live according to the knowledge of good and evil, as was the issue in the Garden of Eden, or do we live in another way? Is there another way to live our lives besides just knowing what is right so that we can do what's right and knowing what is wrong so, of course, we don't do that which is wrong. And this struggle is never going to go away. It's not going to go away until the Lord decides that we're not going to have any more generations of people here on this earth. And because of this struggle, most people will continue to live their lives according to the knowledge of good and evil. And this becomes a life of living under the law. And this, of course, doesn't have to be the law of Moses. It can be a subset of the law of Moses. In other words, we'll just pick and choose a few of the laws, you know, the ones that we find easy to obey, and then add a few others to give ourselves something to work towards. But it can be any law, it can be any standard of right and wrong that a person comes up with in their own minds. Or they can go through the New Testament and they can find things that Jesus had to say that are not necessarily well described in the Mosaic Law. And they can say, this is what it means to live the Christian life. There are various ways that people will obtain a system of law and really every church that exists. And you'll find that there are 
many different kinds of churches. Every church can be described as a congregation of people who have come to some kind of an agreement with regards to what are the laws that we are going to emphasize or live by in our community of people in order to define what it means to live the Christian life. Every church has got their own standards concerning what they believe is to be emphasized in the daily Christian life. And so if you feel uncomfortable with one set of laws from one church, you can go on to another church and live by their set of laws that they will want to emphasize in their daily lives. This is one of the ways of understanding the different denominations or the different congregations of people, the different churches that are in your community, and also a way of understanding how people will join together as friends or as business associates or whatever they may do in their daily lives. People will want to have others who have similar beliefs in their lives in order to feel a sense of community and a sense of safety and a sense of validation in terms of themselves personally and in terms of their beliefs. But this is what happens when a person gets saved and begins to live the Christian life. Another way to recognize this is that when a person first believes the gospel or when a person experiences a change in their life and they decide that they are now going to go to church or they're now going to be a Christian, when a person makes this kind of a decision, they normally embrace God with the message of God is going to accept you wherever you are, in whatever condition you are in. Whatever you have done is now going to be forgiven. God loves you. He accepts you. He takes you right where you are in whatever condition you are in. And you are going to be loved by your God, embraced by your God, and you will have a sense of safety and security in this new relationship that he is offering to you. So people come to God by grace and by mercy and by forgiveness And then after a week or two, they get a new message. A new message gets communicated to people after that. First, you get saved because of the love and the grace and the mercy of God. But then after that, you now have to start living right. You now have to start being a Christian, which means you stop doing those things that you did before. And you now start doing things that you may have never done before But these are good things, and don't worry, just do the right thing, and eventually you'll learn to like it if you don't like it right now. You'll learn to like it, you'll learn to appreciate the value of not committing sin, and of doing all of these good things and these righteous things. Just do the right things, and eventually God will begin to really bless you in return. This is a common message that people receive. By default, what this means is is that you come to Christ because of his love and acceptance and his grace and mercy. And he offers you peace in the midst of all the conflicts of life and perhaps some conflicts that existed between you and him. All of that supposedly came to an end, but a week or two later, you get the new message, which is, you wicked, evil sinner, you, you had better get your flesh under control, because if you don't, 
Well, now God is going to be disgusted with you, and he is going to be totally ashamed that you exist in his life or that you exist at all. He's going to be embarrassed that you claim to be a Christian, that you are a child of God, and yet you engage in all of this sin, and you won't get it out of your life, you won't stop doing this evil stuff, you had better fix this, you had better get your flesh under control, or God might have to intervene and cause some pain and suffering and some destruction in your life, especially if you don't respond to him just simply withholding some blessings in your life. You know, usually he'll start with that. He just won't bless you so much. He won't intervene in those life circumstances. You'll have some problems in your life that could very well be attributed to the intervention of God because, you know, he's trying to get your attention. But if he can't get your attention that way, well, these things could become even more severe. And he could cause a lot of awful things to take place in your life because, of course, he loves you and he's trying to get your attention and he's trying to encourage you to stop engaging in the sin that you have in your life. And if you don't fix it, well, you know, we might eventually have to suggest that maybe you're not really saved, you know, or maybe you are because of this particular church that believes that you cannot lose your salvation. So, you know, he might have to do some other things like take you out early. He might have to kill you and take you out early because you're just such an embarrassment to him. You're causing so many problems and he's just so ashamed of you being one of his children that he has to remove you from this earth and take you out of the lives of other people who might become confused and disoriented and who may reject God because of your evil behavior. This is the kind of stuff that people believe. Or, of course, if you might be able to lose your salvation, well, then you definitely will. And because you won't get this sin out of your life, we're going to excommunicate you from this church, you know? When you first came here, it was all about grace and love and peace. But now, oh no, now we're going to dispose of you. We're going to have to get rid of you. We're not going to have anything to do with you because you won't get your flesh under control. This is the normal kind of attitude and behavior in the church. And so when people read something like this in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, they'll usually just keep reading, you know, just skip past this one and keep reading and find out, well, what else does he have to say? When is he going to get into the other stuff? Because we just don't understand this. We may have understood this when we first became a Christian, but because of what people believe and do afterwards, a message like this will be so suppressed and overwhelmed by all of the religious pressure, effectively by all of the law that gets imposed, all of the religious law that gets imposed upon a person, that these words won't have much meaning to them anymore, unless, of course, they decide to redefine them, which is what people will often do. For example, when he says grace to you, there are people who have the sincere belief that God is gracious to us because 
He gives us the law. That's what some people believe. They believe that the grace of God is the giving of the law, the giving of the standard of right and wrong, the definition of what is good and evil, so that we will do that which is good and we won't do that which is evil. God is so gracious to us that he tells us what we should be doing and what we shouldn't be doing, that there are many people who believe that that is the definition of the grace of God. And so when they say things like, grace to you, what they really mean is law to you, law to you, lots of law. We're going to bury you under the law. We're going to relentlessly tell you what is good, what is evil, what is right, what is wrong, because that is what you are to do. That's what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian means you know the knowledge of good and evil so that you will do that which is good and you will not do that which is evil, which is the same as the first sermon of the devil in the Garden of Eden. The first sermon of the devil was all about God does not want you to be eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because if you knew what was good and you knew what was evil, well, then you would repent and obey and you would be a better person. In fact, the more you pursue this, the more you exercise this, the more you practice this, eventually you will be like God. And for many people, that's what the Christian life is about. It's about being like God. If you only know what is good and evil, then you can be like God. And of course, they won't say that you can be a God or you can be God because, of course, you'll never be perfect at that. But you can get really close, you know. You can get as close as the pastor is, supposedly. Maybe you can get that close. And, of course, if you do, well, then you're, you know, your leadership material, then maybe you need to start your own church or Start a church that is a satellite of this one and, of course, you know, participate in our activities as well to some extent. But this is what people believe. They really do believe this, that grace to you means that God was gracious enough to give us his law, which effectively means law to you. But, of course, they're not going to say that because there are too many verses in the New Testament that would contradict that. And so there is an art, there is a way of communicating law to you in a way that you don't really know that that's what's happening. But if you will just wait long enough, wait enough years, eventually you're going to get that sense that this is what the Christian life is really about. And you know, there are some teachers who don't do this too much, you know, in a 30-minute sermon. They may give you 25 minutes of God loves you, God accepts you, God does not hold your sins against you, and then in the last five minutes, they give you the message of law. They give you the message of repent and obey, or God is going to hurt you. He's going to come after you. There are schools for this. There are seminaries for this. There are conferences. There's training in terms of how... You communicate 
the grace of God in 25 minutes and then bury your people under the law in the last five. And sure enough, five minutes can overwhelm 25 minutes to the extent where those 25 minutes really mean absolutely nothing. And there are people who will embrace those last five minutes of law because of their pride. There is an enormous amount of pride that can be supported or developed or reinforced within a person because if you can do anything in order to obtain favor from God, well, then you've got a lot of things going for you. First of all, you'll be able to compare yourself with all those other wicked, evil people who are still struggling in their sins when you have now found a way to overcome such sins. And also because of what you have done for God, well, you know, God owes you. He owes you. And if he doesn't pay up right now, don't worry. Don't worry about that. He will pay up when you go to heaven with all of the rewards that you are going to get because he was not able to compensate you properly when you were physically alive. He'll do that. He'll take care of that. He will pay his debt to you when you go to heaven. That's what heaven means for a lot of these people. Going to heaven means a debt collection experience when you go to God and you get your rewards for what God owes you because you became a better person than somebody else. So there's a tremendous amount of pride that can be developed through that and also through comparing yourself with other people. And this is why a lot of people will find this kind of message of law to you to be attractive, to be appealing, to be exciting It's all about religious pride. Now, there are some specialized pastors and ministers and priests and the such who specialize in what's called grace teaching. And there are some really good grace teachers. There really are some fantastic grace teachers. But what you will often find in a lot of these grace teachers is while they can keep the love and acceptance of God alive, a lot longer than other pastors can keep that alive because they usually default to the law quickly. What you need to look for, what you need to pay attention to, is to what degree do these people know and understand what they have in Christ Jesus and how to apply what they have in Christ Jesus in their daily lives. And this tends to be something that is lacking in a lot of the grace movements or grace congregations that exist. There can be a shortfall in the sense of understanding the inheritance that we have in Christ and how we are to live with the inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus. And this is something that Paul speaks of right away in his letter to the Ephesians. Now, when there is a lack of understanding of our inheritance in Christ Jesus and how we can apply the inheritance that we have received, then it will only be a matter of time before the grace teacher defaults to the law. And this is a huge struggle in the grace movement or in the grace world. This is a huge struggle because while a lot of time can be spent in all of the verses and in all of the discussions about do we have eternal salvation or do we not, 
Does God love us or does he not? Do we live by grace or do we live by law? A lot of time can be put into that. People can be involved in this for years and years and never get into what it really means to be a Christian and what it really means to know your God. And it can be so easy to get lost in all the details of all the discussions and all the conflicts of are we saved by grace? Are we sustained by grace? You can spend your entire Christian life becoming the expert and the master on these things and yet still not know your God as a person. Not know the inheritance in Christ Jesus and what it means to live in the inheritance that you have in Christ Jesus. Because what you end up doing is you end up building another form of religious pride. Because you compare yourself with the other grace to you teachers who are really teaching law to you. And while you are teaching the grace of God and the mercy of God in comparison with the law teachers who say they are teaching grace... As if the grace of God is God being gracious enough to give you the law, that becomes another form of religious pride in the grace movement. And people don't want to let that go. They don't want to move forward into really knowing the Lord as a person and living by the inheritance. So what will happen, and it's just a matter of time, you just have to pay attention And wait long enough, and eventually you will hear the grace teacher eventually default to the law. They will. They will default to the law by saying, well, okay, well, now we just, you know, we are led by the Holy Spirit in the sense of he will tell us what to do and what not to do and just do what's right and don't do what's wrong. And everything's going to be fine. And this is usually at the end of everything that they teach, just spoken of subtly, rarely spoken of, only spoken of when necessary, because it is the default to a lack of really knowing the Lord as a person and the inheritance in Christ. So in general, the quality of a grace teacher becomes how long does it take before he teaches law to you? Or how subtle will he be in communicating that message without you really seeing that that's what they default to. Now, of course, I'm just speaking in generalities because every person needs to be considered as an individual. But what I want you to recognize is that this is a struggle, and it is a struggle that is never going to go away. You need to be able to recognize it. You need to understand that this is an eternal struggle. And you need to recognize that this is going to be a part of everyone's life to one degree or another. But in the midst of it, do continually try to stay focused on how am I going to know my God as a person and how am I going to make use of what he has given to me in Christ Jesus in my daily life. And as you continue to embrace those two things, you will continue to grow in your relationship with God. But in the midst of your growth and of your journey, there will be times when you will discover that you have a lack of peace. And when these times come, that you discover that you have a lack of peace in your relationship with him, you will then have the opportunity to discover the obstacles, those things that you believe that are not true, that are keeping you from resting in the peace that God has given to you. 
As Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 2, Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net